0: Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 100. Yes, we have made it to the century mark. This is Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy. So, for our special 100th episode, I thought we would take a step back and do something a little bit different. We're going to go back and look at some of the highlights of the Lend Academy podcast over the last hundred episodes. And it's not going to be just me. I'm going to bring in the Lend Academy team. The Lend Academy team is also the Lendit team when it comes to putting content together for all the Lendit conferences. We together, the four of us put together all of the agendas. So what we want this to be is not just a sort of a, we're not going to go back and just look at you know, just tell you what we like, but we're going to try and make it educational. We're going to tell everybody what we think are some of the key takeaways of some of the, the best podcasts that we've done. So with that, I'm going to let the team uh, introduce themselves.
1: Thanks, Peter. So my name is Ryan Lichtenwald. I've been part of the Lend Academy and lend it team since 2015. My first ever lend it conference was in 2014, so I've been around the space for quite a few years now and, and writing about the space and also helping out with the conference. I'll pass it over to Todd.
2: Thanks, Ryan. My name is Todd Anderson. I've been with the LendIt team uh, since 2015 as well. My primary role is working on each of the event agendas uh, as well as our uh, LendIt News and Lend Academy content. Many of you might know me as the speaker manager slash content manager. And Jason, I'll pass it to you.
3: Thanks, Todd. My name is Jason Jones. I'm one of the co-founders of LendIt with Peter and Bill Rusgren and I have a lot of wear a lot of different hats. I'm currently CEO of LendIt, but I'm also very active on the content team. By way of background, I was a research analyst and a portfolio manager, so I, I I just enjoy going deep on companies, understanding what they do and how they're structured, and then understanding the competitive landscape around them. So uh, I don't get to write all that often, but I do. I do enjoy that. And then I also uh, work on building the agenda with the team.
0: Okay. Thank you, Peter. Okay. Thanks, guys. I want to, before we get started, I want to go through some of the statistics for the Lend Academy podcast. I've never shared these publicly, and I thought now would be a good time to do it. So, firstly, we're just going to go through the total downloads. I'm looking at our, our stats page right now. We've had 177,000 or almost 178,000 downloads total. That's obviously across uh, 99 episodes uh, before this one. And we've also, we have had, I want to go through the top five most downloaded podcasts of all time. So the number one most downloaded by, by quite a considerable margin actually is Catherine Petralia from Cabbage. That was podcast 42, recorded in July of 2015. And, well, that podcast is quite amazing because it still gets, on average, more than one download a day. It's obviously almost two years old as we're recording this, but it has been by far the most popular podcast we've had, just under 4,000 downloads. And then we have Aaron Vermoot, the former CEO of Prosper. This was back in February of 2015 when this was launched. This has had 3,227 downloads. Then we have Karen Mills at number three, was Podcast 41, and that was also in July of 2015. She's the former head of the SBA and now a a senior fellow at Harvard, and she has just over 3,000 downloads. Then we have Matt Burton, who I've actually had on twice, but his first podcast uh, back in December of 2014 uh, is the number four most downloaded, 2,859 downloads. And then we have the number five most downloaded podcast is uh, Gilles Gade. At, uh, he's a CEO of Cross River Bank, and he came in, uh, that was in uh, March of 2015, at 2794 downloads. So that's basically the five most popular downloads of all time. And now I want to talk about geography because we have, it's interesting to to look at. And you, you think this is a US podcast focused primarily on US content, but it's interesting to to see the geographical background. Only seventy four percent of the downloads come from the United States, so there's that means twenty six percent is coming internationally. Obviously, the number one country is the US. Number two is the UK. The United States is at one hundred thirty two thousand downloads. United you know, UK, obviously, a lot lo- lower, seven thousand five hundred. China is number three, which is interesting because you know obviously people don't speak English very much in China, but still, that is number three at six thousand four hundred and sixty-two. Australia is number four, my home country, at three thousand seven hundred and ninety, and then Canada is number five at two thousand two hundred downloads. So not not big surprises there, but I think it's it's interesting to to see the main the the, the main countries. And the biggest download day ever was just, uh, was actually in February of this year when we had just over a thousand downloads, which happened the day after the Mike Cagney podcast came out. We're gonna we are going to be talking about that in a little bit, but that's been, that's been the most downloaded day. And interesting, I, you know, we record these typically, we publish, publish these on a Friday. I do that because I know that people, you know, like to, over the weekends, they can download them and listen to them as they're working out or going for a walk or what have you. And we always get a, Big, big day it was always on the, on the Saturday. It's the biggest day of downloads happens on the Saturday every week. So that's a bit of the background on stats. Now I want to pass it over to Ryan. We're going to go through and talk about some of our favorite podcasts. We're going to have this sort of as an open discussion between the four of us and talk about what we learned on on some of these. So over to you, Ryan.
1: Thanks. So one of my favorite podcasts has to be Mike Hagney from Spotify. You know, I, I guess firstly I'd say you know, I kind of have a soft spot for, for SoFi because I am a millennial. Uh, so, <laughs> so I follow them pretty pretty closely. Um, but one of the things I love uh, about Mike Cagney is that he's really open. He speaks his mind. And in our recent podcast with him was, you know, no exception. I, I find that I'm always kind of taking notes or going back and, and really trying to figure out what kind of how the business is doing, any numbers that he gives to kind of, dig in deeper and, and understand the, the progress the company has made. I guess, you know, from the last one, my perspective was, you know, over the last year, they've come they've come so far, they, they continue to deliver on additional products. So wealth management, insurance, and then actually in the podcast, Peter, you and him talked about the, the bank that they're offering, which actually got announced just after the podcast. Mm-hmm. And that's all within right around a year. So that's, I mean, it's just fascinating how fast they're able to move and at scale as well. I think, you know, one of the other things that is really interesting about the company is that, you know, they're, they're pretty open about, they're not necessarily beating on price, right? It's uh, they're beating on customer service and providing, you know, value to the the SoFi community and kind of around the, the SoFi community, they have, you know, their, their dating events, their networking events. So they're, They've really kind of turned traditional baking on its head, and they're super unique. And that's one of the things that that I just love about Sofi.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, and uh, Jason, you're you're actually a Sofi customer, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience uh, with, as a Sofi customer, and also what you thought about that podcast? Yes, I'm I'm happy to say that I am I'm in the Sofi Club, the exclusive club. <laughs> it's an exclusive, exclusive very, club. Very, yes, very honored
3: to honored to be in the Sofi Club. Um, <laughs> No, I went. I actually, uh, Ryan and I decided one day that we should, I wanted to refine some credit card debt. So we chose three platforms. I actually we chose Carrot, which was Cabbage's platform, and Best Egg, which is Marlette's platform, and SoFi. And we just decided to videotape my application process just to understand what the user experience like was like at all three of those, those companies. I went into each one of them cold. So I direct I directly typed in the URL and went through the process with them. And surprisingly, I was rejected at Cabbage and at Best Egg, and I was approved. I joined the club at SoFi. <laughs> uh, so uh, I only had one option at the end of it, but the option was really good. The rates were extremely low. The user experience was was excellent, and, and I'm very happy with the refinancing of the loan that I got. So I now they offer me, they upselling things like mortgages and other products and I definitely consider using other other products that SoFi offers. I haven't been to a dating event yet. I am married. <laughs> so no yeah, we, yes, your might uh, not like that. <laughs> but I did go to their mortgage one-on-one when they launched in New York, and that thing was packed. There was hundreds of people there. It was uh, it was like a meetup, but it was there was a lot of excitement, uh, and they were te- teaching people about how to buy buy their first home. That was, that was a pretty cool event. So I definitely see their involvement with the community aspect and the, the feel of being part of the club. So, SoFi is doing well with that.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's, to me, no other financial institution has done as good a job as SoFi has of making that sort of club-like feel into making a, a sort of a, you know, a high-end, more exclusive type experience. And I think they, they've done a good job with that. But the other thing, going back to what Ryan said, I mean, the execution that they, they show, Mike Cagney will talk about something and then, you know, It will be done. It will be executed. It will be out the door a month or two later, and this happens again and again and again. And, you you know, I've had private conversations with him, and he talks about stuff that's coming down the pipe, and then, you know, next thing you know, it's out. And it's not only just out, but it's executed and it's done well. And I think that's they're really, really good at executing, and you know they they, they really have taken the leadership position in the space. And you know what Mike Cagney said on that show, which I thought was an amazing takeaway. He wants to he wants SoFi to be a hundred billion dollar company. That's a, a valuation, and uh, with two million two million customers in the you know in the foreseeable future. And, that would put them on a par with any uh, financial institution in this country, and you know, I'm, I think uh, I to be a brave man that would bet against uh, the SoFi team at this stage. Okay, so maybe, Todd, you want to go and you know, tell us what you, one of your uh, favorites have been? Sure. Thanks, Peter. You know, one of the, uh, I think,
2: more interesting ones, uh, especially uh, to someone like myself, uh, I guess I'm I'm still considered a millennial, though I'm (laughs) I'm more on the outskirts uh, of being a millennial, was Stephen Dash of of Credible as someone who still has a a fair amount of uh, student loans. I know we've just talked about SoFi as a, a student refi, but I think Credible you know the, the, their business model, the way Steven runs the company, how much they've grown in the last few years was really something that uh, you know I thought was uh, pretty exceptional. I think the fact that you know they're very much integrated with the uh, the partners that they have. I mean, recently they had um, signed a deal with Sally May, but you know the more partnership models that we've begun to see in the space whether it's banks and fintechs, fintechs and banks. I think Credible has done a really good job at integrating with whether it's local credit unions in Massachusetts or Sally May. Uh, they really offer something that's a bit unique and you know something that you know gives a lot of choice when it comes to looking at options at, at lowering your rates. The most interesting aspect I thought was you know, we always hear about ownership of the customer, who's going to own the customer, offering them different products over the course of the customer's lifetime. You know Stephen has a, a slightly different view on this which I thought was was very interesting. It's more of a co-ownership look at a customer in that you not you can't offer them everything. And so understanding you know who your partners are, understanding that you know the, the borrower or the customer uh, is not necessarily just owned by the lender. Is a, you know it's a really fascinating point. And it's a different way to look at it. As more companies are looking to offer more products, whether it's adding on insurance or adding on wealth management, you know he's come to the understanding that you have to kind of co-own this customer through different partners and through different companies. And I think that view uh, is really uh, unique. As as more companies are trying to add stuff, he's really trying to refine what they currently do well. And I think that's that's a little bit different than you know some of the other companies out there. And I, I think they do a really good job at that. And I think he comes across very, you know, very knowledgeable. Uh, the company's grown to seventy-five employees now, so they've you know obviously uh, been doing quite well the last few years.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I I, mean, I I really enjoyed that podcast, and not just because uh, Stephen is a fellow Aussie, but um, I think he's <laughs> he has a a really interesting concept. What I got out of that one was that. You know, the whole idea that he put forward of, you know, what we want to, he sort of wants to re in a way that is best for the customer. And, you know, oftentimes you want to go and obtain a loan and you, you know, you you don't know whether, you don't want to go and apply at 10 different sites. That's That's kind of, you know, it's a waste of time and energy. So what Credible has done is like, okay, you... Give us your information, and the fact that he's been able to get like the underwriting models of some of these platforms to really tightly integrate with them, so he knows when he's sending them to a platform that they're going to get approved, and he can take all of that and say, right, I know you're going to be approved at these three platforms. This one has the lowest rate, and I, I'm going to I'm going to send you there. I think it's a it's a tremendous service. It's sort of a reintermediation that adds value and, uh, to the customer, and, and as you say, it's like a co ownership of the customer. But the the reality is. Um, having these sort of you know, comparison sites, which you don't really have in the US for the online lending space, very much, and uh, I think in, in other countries, Australia, the UK, these comparison sites are what drives almost all traffic to these uh, online lending platforms. So it's it's interesting that I think he's he's got something that has, to my idea, really a lot of legs, and it's it's adding value for the customer. Yeah,
2: and I think that you know the, the fact that it's a lot of the partners are also like local banks or, or local credit unions in different regions is really helpful as well because it gives the borrower who's going to that local community or local regional college, you know, a choice that is familiar with them. So it's not just a big bank. It's not just a a countrywide choice, but it's also a local choice. So I think the, the uh, partnerships they've struck also offer something unique that it, it gives that community type feel to it. Uh, as opposed to just offering lenders that are, you know, countrywide, it gives a, a little more of a regional feel to it as
0: well. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Jason, what's uh, what's been your favorite? Uh, what's, what sort of caught your eye over the last 100 episodes? All right. So first I'll start with saying
3: that I feel like I've done this about fifteen to 20 times where after I've listened to one of your podcast Peter, I come back and say, oh, Peter, that was the best podcast I've ever had It keeps <laughs> happening. So. This this You asked me to go find my favorites, there's so many that I really like, and I would definitely say that this is one of the best products that Lend Academy makes, in, in my opinion. I, I enjoy listening to every podcast, and I learned so much about the companies and about the people in our industry from from these podcasts. So tough question. What are the best ones? I will first say that recently, I loved the, the Cagney, the SoFi interview recently. Uh, Grameen was awesome. So Interesting. Congressman McHenry, fascinating to see from a political perspective what's going on up there. So there's lots of picks that I that I could have came up with, and I know we're going to discuss some of them. But I'm picking two that. Uh, well, I'm picking my first one is one from about six or eight months ago, uh, podcast number 73, Todd Nelson from Lightstream. The reason why I picked this one is because Lightstream is an auto finance online lender that is owned by SunTrust Bank. And this is, what was interesting to me here is that this is the only notable successful marketplace lending M&A deal that I've seen where a bank has bought a marketplace lending company or online lending company. And it's worked really well for them. So I love hearing his story. Auto finance is a trillion dollar business, and there's 50 million auto sales per year. And Lightstream has, has built this kind of direct-to-consumer auto lending solution. And about five years ago, SunTrust went out and they bought the company. It was kind of a bare-bones company at the time. And SunTrust is not really a a bank that is forward-thinking in terms of technology. So at first, they were really just thinking about buying the, the Lightstream portfolio. And then as they started talking to the management team, they realized that they could buy the whole company and kind of incubated inside their business. And it was a big step for SunTrust to do that. And Todd described kind of that process of what what SunTrust had to go through to kind of decide to buy a a little tiny startup like that tech startup. But it's been incredibly successful. It took about a year and a half for them to get the compliance right and to get the operations right uh, before they relaunched it inside of SunTrust. And now that they have, they have grown it from basically nothing to one of the top five online consumer lenders in the country with a huge presence in the auto finance space. So great story, great example of a successful M&A deal, and something that's a little bit under the radar. I don't think if most people talk about online lending. They think of Lending Club and Prosper and companies like that, but Lightstream's a great example of a of a bank that's done well in our industry.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think you're. I would echo those remarks. I think they they have done well, and you know it is interesting. I mean, they they have flying under the radar. They just haven't done a whole lot of you know branding and outreach that like a company like Sofi has done. But the reality is, they they have the advantage of cost of capital, and their, their rates are really really competitive. And I remember doing that episode and thinking it was really interesting their mix of loans like auto as you said is one of their primary I think it was the primary category they have and they don't do much in the way of debt consolidation so they don't see themselves as really directly competing necessarily against you know Lending Club and Prosper and SoFi because they feel that what what they're after they're after a, a slightly different demographic they're not after the debt consolidation crowd and you know, I think that they're, they're, they're sort of been a quiet achiever over the last few years and uh yeah, they. You know, I, I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with from here on out.
3: Yeah, they said one interesting quote, you know, they're focused on prime and super prime borrowers. And when they issue auto loans, they're obviously a lower interest rate than a debt consolidation loan. So they said, if you don't have an interest rate starting at one or two, like one or 2%, then you're just not competitive. And you need to price aggressively in this market. And using the bank's balance sheet, the deposit base, they are in a position where they can have an online lending business, but price at a very competitive rate. Mm-hmm. And it's super interesting. It's That's what, you know, Goldman's doing with Marcus exactly. now. Exactly. Deposit base to, yeah. to, to lend. And, you know, rates are rates are going to be really competitive as these, these banks think about how they roll out their online lending businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, again, M&A is the only, only bank that I know of that's bought an online lender so far. So far. There's a lot of chatter about it. There's clearly <laughs> lots of, of, of bank partnerships that are happening, but this is the example that uh a M&A can work in the industry, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see more in the next few years. Yeah. And someone's going to recognize Lightstream eventually and say, some bank's going to say, oh, they, you know, SunTrust did well with Lightstream, we should go do it ourselves.
0: hmm Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to briefly go through one of my favorites, which was the one that was done very recently, just a bit over a month ago, was with Andrea Jung, the CEO of Grameen America. I know you just mentioned it, Jason. The thing that I just thought it was just absolutely fascinating how they've been able to build a business serving, I would say, some of the riskiest borrowers of any online lender. I mean, these are people who are first-time entrepreneurs that are taking out loans that with, you know, sometimes they're not very educated. I mean, they don't either, they either have no credit score or they have a low credit score and they're getting a default rate of 0.3%, which, I mean, that's, that's just incredible to, to, that's incredible if you're lending to a, a super high credit score, really experienced entrepreneur who's got a very established cash flow generating business. But these are first time entrepreneurs and oftentimes, they don't even have a business when they, they they take the loan. They're just getting started. So, to me, that was really interesting. To, and I know they run a primarily offline business, but the, the, to me, it 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 says that what what is possible. It, it points to what is possible that you can have these businesses if you can sort of duplicate what they've done offline and uh, and bring it online. Then, and I know there are companies trying to do that, but just it it basically points to me of what is possible.
3: Yeah, I think an important part there. With the fact that they've also originated more than 600 million in loans, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly, mm-hmm. so I mean, they've the at scale. I mean, these default rates are, are proven at scale, which is amazing. Yeah, amazing. And I think, can you talk a little bit about what, how the group, the group support system works? I think it's a big part of Green. I mean.
0: Yeah, so I mean, that's the, the one thing that I learned. That you don't need to have a lot of experience or a great or a good credit score, as I said, but you have to take. You have to have a commitment. You have to take a week off and go to a week's training and then you have to go to these meetings once a month where you get this sort of group support kind of thing. And I think that's that's been the key to what they've done. And then also they work with a local loan officer who's really a a coach as well as a loan officer and helping them get their business going. And I think that's been a a critical piece. Anyway, I want to keep going because we've got a few more to cover. Ryan, why don't we go back to you and tell us another one that you really like? Sure. So another one I really enjoyed was Pure Street. So
1: you know, it feels like you know over the last year or so, the real estate crowdfunding companies, a lot of them are kind of coming of age, and you know we're really starting to see the true players. And I really feel like Pure Street is one of those. And I just love their story, right? So you interviewed Brew and and Brett, is one of the co-founders, who originally founded Google Analytics, which is you know fascinating. Everyone uses Google Analytics, so they. They come from this data background, and I think that's you can kind of see that permeating throughout the, the business, especially in the, the interview. You know, one other interesting fact was that I learned was, you know, Michael Burry, you know, famous for, you know, calling the, the, the mortgage crisis a, is, a, is on their advisory team, which is obviously a huge boon to the company, but, you know, specific to their business model, it was really interesting to hear how they operate through these origination partners, right? So they partner with these people who have traditionally made loans to, you know, these fix and flip properties. And these are really experts in their individual area in that community. And so they know the market and that's really important. And that kind of model helps the company scale. And it also creates, you know, it's a win-win, right? So the origination partners now have a market for them to sell their, their loans into with, with, with Peer Street. Um, and then Peer Street goes and turns and, and re-underwrites the loan. And, you know, so the interests are aligned because the origination partner also has skin in the game. You know, I think it's at least 10% of the loan. And then I, I guess the other interesting takeaway was learning kind of about um, the borrowers that they have. So the average interest rate to borrowers was, is around 8%. And, you know, they're, they're short term, you know, average nine month term and an average of 62 percent loan to value, which, in my opinion, is extremely safe, you know, from a real estate perspective. And I think that's one of the things that differentiates Peer Street and why I like the company. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've, I've actually been an investor on Peer Street for right on a year now, and I, I've been I've been very happy, I think. The the interesting piece that they've really, they have, I think what's important for any platform, whether you're real estate, small business, consumer, is to have a a customer acquisition channel, a borrower acquisition channel, most importantly, that is it can deliver you uh, low-cost borrowers. I think those companies that are going out of business didn't have that, and I think Peer Street, with their... That working with these, these sponsors that they have is they've, they've sort of developed this proprietary channel that is, is, you know, it means that they can bring on bring on deal flow inexpensively. I think that's been a real critical piece. Anyway, so Todd, I want to get on to you for another one of your picks. Thanks, Peter. You know, this next one, I think, you
2: know, was interesting because yeah you know, I think one thing that interests me in the in the online lending uh, industry is lenders that focus on a specific niche. and I think in in podcast seventy one that Peter did with the two founders of street shares the the focus they have right now on uh, veterans and veteran owned businesses now it's not a hundred percent of their focus, but it's it's their primary focus. And as someone whose brother is a is a veteran, it's always unique to hear someone from a veteran background like Mark, where he used to, you know, try people uh, in Iraq for for terrorism to move them into lending. So the the unique background of Mark and then Mickey, who's from South Africa, I think, you know, first interests me uh, in the podcast, their unique backgrounds, and then focusing on the veteran community and using an affinity model, which is really, you know, what they pride themselves on is using that community of veterans to then, you know, I guess you could say pressure uh, the borrower interpaying, but it, it's really a community-driven, you know, site and uh, company that they're running. You know, the, the new Reg A Plus has now opened them up for non-accredited investors. They offer their uh, business bonds at a fixed rate of 5%. Uh, so they're offering a unique opportunity to a unique group of, of people and veterans. And I think it's just, you know, it's something that it goes beyond just you know, lending to small businesses, looking for scale and looking, trying to get as many loans and, and capital as possible. It's looking at a different model, which is really focused on a specific community and offering them the best product that fits that community. Uh, and so I think it's a, it's a different way of looking at online lending. And I really like to look at some of those niche areas when looking at and reading on companies. It, it's really, a, uh, I think, uh, an interesting space and I think you see some more areas that are right to be targeted when it comes to niche areas. But, you know, I think Mark and, and Mickey really do an interesting job over at Street Chairs. And I thought it was, a, you know, an interesting podcast that you did, Peter.
0: Yep, I I agree. And I think the other piece is, you know, they actually have an offering for non-accredited investors, which uh, is somewhat uh, somewhat unique uh, that the veterans or the veterans bonds where you can invest in those loans to veterans and get a return even if you're not an accredited investor. Anyway, I want to get to Jason one more time, talk about another one that you really like.
3: Okay, my next one is podcast number 74. This is Direct Lending Investments run by Brendan Ross. I love this podcast because we've known Brandon since before he started, when he was just an entrepreneur with a dream. And we've seen him develop one of the best fund manager growth stories in our industry. Uh, we actually had him on the podcast twice. The first time he was on the podcast, his fund was at $73 million. We brought him back two years later, and his fund was at $730 million. So he grew 10 times over two years. He's had an incredible growth story. And Brent, Brendan's a fun guy to listen to. He's one of the industry's best self promoters, which is entertaining. But in addition to that, he's one of the smartest guys in the industry. And I just love how he's built his business. You know, he, when he started uh, several years ago, everybody was launching P2P funds on Lending Club and Prosper. And Brendan looked at that and said, no, that's not what I want to do. I'm going to focus on. Small business lending and specifically on short duration, high-yielding loans. So from the very beginning, he took a different tack than than most of the other fund managers that that were out there. And then in addition, he was a tough negotiator right off the bat. He bought whole loans, but when he bought them, he, he negotiated credit enhancements right off the bat. He basically said, I will buy loans from you, little tiny small business lending platform. But you're telling me what your interest rate is. If your interest rate starts to decline, then the service fee that I'm paying you will decline at the same rate. So therefore I'm baking in protection if you don't deliver what you say you're going to deliver. He also went ahead and he created a segregated bank account right off the bat. So so all loans would go into this bank account and, and, and it would be independent of the actual lending platform. So we're setting up bankruptcy remote structures right off the bat. He also loved the segment because he could see the identity of the borrower. He knew the businesses he was lending to, and in some cases, he would talk to the uh, the owners and, and and work directly with them. So, lots of really interesting insight there right off the bat, and I think it set him in in a different position than all the other new startup fund managers that were in the space. He quickly moved to extending credit facilities, much like a bank would do, where the loans would be put into an SPV, and he would he would extend one loan to that SPV. It would be a fixed rate. And in that case, he would have the lenders lock in a fixed rate for that pool of loans. So basically they were guaranteeing the rate. So if the loans in the pool actually defaulted, the lender would would eat the losses and Brendan would get a, a locked in rate. So really tough negotiator, smart negotiator. And that's why he has been able to do so tremendously well. Also, he picked a category where duration was short, so so the payback was quick, and, and it was protected him for any kind of rise in interest rates, and very high yielding areas like invoice financing and areas like secured uh, real estate. He's lent to a bunch of different platforms at this point, and his performance has been great. One of the best performing, as Peter knows, kind of in quarterly reports. Yep. is always one of the best performing investments. In the industry.
0: Yep, now Brendan has done a great job. I've been a big fan. Um, obviously, I, I've been an investor now for four years in the, in the fund. I was certainly one of the very early ones on board because I'd known Brendan for a while. I first had him, I first actually interviewed him um, for a QA on the Blend Academy back in 2012. It was like, I think it was about five years ago. And yeah i just i think he's as you say he's a very smart guy and uh, i think he deserves all the success he gets anyway unfortunately we're out of time and uh i still have others that we wanted to cover here i wanted to talk about jeff stewart from lendo which was a fascinating a fascinating episode. Anthony Shea from Lone Depot, who's you know probably the the big the biggest big time entrepreneur I've had on the podcast in, its, in the first hundred episodes, you know, he's built up a company from zero to five thousand employees in uh, just a small number of years. And then Catherine Petralia, the number one most downloaded. The reason there is a reason she's a, her podcast is the number one most downloaded, and I think she she had some really unique things to share. But we're out of time, so with that, I think we will wrap it up. hope you found that useful, and I want to thank uh, Jason, uh, Todd, and Ryan for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Peter. Thanks, Peter. I just want to share a little personal note on this, the occasion of our 100th podcast. You know, I I love my job. I love what I do. I love the industry. I enjoy putting the conferences together, working on the agenda, inviting speakers. And and I enjoy the writing pieces on Lend Academy and, you know, doing, you know, doing the investing side and all of those. I I really enjoy all the different pieces of my job. But the thing I enjoy most is this podcast. This is the thing that I, I feel like I get to sit down every week and talk with some of the most interesting people in the industry, and it's something that I I truly love to do and, and I'm committed to doing it for the foreseeable future. And also just, uh, we had the Lend Academy team on this time. We're going to be doing more with the Lend Academy team, the Lendit content team. We are interchangeable. So as we go forward, you'll find some special things that we're going to do, which will bring us, um, make, give us, give you more access to us and, uh, and help us uh, share our thoughts with you more. Anyway, on that note, uh, I will sign off. But before I do, just on this hundredth episode, I just want to make one more request to please go and give us an honest review on iTunes or Stitcher. We'd love to get some more reviews out there, and it helps people find the show. Anyway, thank you very much for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.